Please turn your Bibles today to the Old Testament book of Genesis, the very first book in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 16, and we're also going to be in chapter 21 today. Today is a devotional sermon, which is different, a little bit different than what we would typically do. We're going to start a new series next week, and it's, um, it's going to be an expositional series. Today is a devotional sermon for Mother's Day. And I know that Mother's Day isn't the easiest for everyone. In a pastor's ideal world, people would rush to church to find comfort and peace at a worship service, especially on tough days. And so thanks for being here today because there's a lot of reasons why this can be a difficult day for some people. And many of you are not mothers today. And because some of us are men, um, we'll never be mothers. But we're all children, aren't we? And as young children, we love to be watched. Every one of us, when we were, when we were young, said to our moms and, and our dads, we'd say, hey, look, mom, look at me. And mothers looked every single time at us, no matter what goofy thing you were doing. And a lot of us, I know, did some goofy things in, in life. We all know that, <clears throat> we all know what it's like to be a child, wanting to be seen by our moms. And today, we're going to have a couple testimonies about moms today. And right now, I'd like to ask Tammy Chepeco to come on up, and she's going to share a testimony about her mom. Would you welcome her? Okay. <laughs> I also, um, if you know me, I talk a lot, and it's hard to write very little about my mother. So I'm going to have to read straight from my page because I wrote a lot, um, and I was given a time frame. So <laughs> describing my mom, she's already crying. Okay. <laughs> Don't look at her. Describing my mom <laughs> in a few sentences still proves to be one of the hardest tasks, even after 23 years of knowing her. Therefore, if I were to try, I'd say she's complex. She loves, yeah, she loves the simple things like listening to the Greatest Showman soundtrack with my dad, spoiling their doggy, and having dessert every night. She's indescribable, totally unique, and totally irreplaceable. She knows what she likes and what she stands for, and she will make all of which known. But it's, it's, she's also one of the most freely giving, caring, and thoughtful people when it comes to hosting, celebrating, and her responsibilities to family and community. One of my favorite memories with my mom was working together at the gym I grew up practicing gymnastics at. The way working together came about is actually very indicative of who my mom is. She started working as an administrator for the gym when the recession hit and my dad was between jobs, but quickly she became an important fixture, an important fixture there, going from gym mom to employee. We would go, stay, and come back from the gym together four days a week. Soon after, I began coaching, and we actually became co-workers. Looking back, it was a really special time to share in the events and the culture of the gym and to be part of the gym family together. I would find little times to sneak off the floor and like startle my mom in the office. 
Um, and we would heat up our dinners together and eat them at adjacent desks while she was listening to her oldies Pandora radio station. And she got to see me grow from a kid to a young working adult in the context that meant so much to both of us. And now she still even works there. And I live in Orange County, and I even coach at a different gym. Um, but practicing and coaching and working, all those values and skills were grown and honed with my mother just feet away from me. Um, and I'm super, super proud of that. Um, my, help, my, yeah, my mom helped me grow spiritually by trusting the Lord with her only daughter. My parents did an amazing job raising us in a faithful, healthy household. They taught us the meaning of Easter and Christmas. We incessantly listened to Jenna and Lyra in the car. And they gave us so many memories and experiences with family and church friends. But I think what she has done, what she has done that has shaped my faith the most is praying for me and supporting me while I've gone and left her immediate control and care. During college was when God called me to deeper, more missional and sacrificial faith. And when it came to big decisions, like, like using my time in college to lead in an organization called InterVarsity, um, or choosing to raise support to join a short-term mission trip to the Philippines, and finally deciding not to go after our plan of law school after undergrad in order that I go into ministry in an urban, unglamorous, and underserved in Santa Ana. All throughout that, she trusted God with whatever he was doing in my life, and she and my dad supported me unequivocally. It feels like my parents and God the Father really have tag-teamed it in raising and discipling my brother and me. It's exactly how I want to live faithfully now and in the future. Because if she can trust God with her children's lives, I know I can trust God with my finances, my relationships, my jobs, and my future. Um, Pastor Dean asked us to uh, pick a passage for our mothers, and I chose one of the hardest passages, I think, in the Bible is Matthew 6, 25-34. And in this passage, um, after Jesus points out how the birds of the air have enough food without growing or storing it like humans do, and how the fleeting wildflowers uh, have more splendid um, like colors and garbs than even King Solomon's clothes, he asks his listeners, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Then he calls out his followers, telling them, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in a society ruled by stress and anxiety, I cannot say the same goes for my mother. Rarely have I seen the stress or the pressure of the expectations of others get the best of her. No, she just sticks to who she is and she, what she's designed to do, and she gets done what she needs to get done while having fun and enjoying life. And it's not because she doesn't have responsibilities or hasn't, or hasn't, had, or hasn't seen hard times or doesn't care about food or fashion. It's because she truly trusts in the Lord and spends her time and energy on more important things than worrying. She's a rarity in this respect and in many others. And I love her for it. And happy Mother's Day. I love you. Our text today in Genesis 16 is about a misunderstood mother and child. And we'll explore the truth about God 
that's relevant to all of us today. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord said, and the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Ro. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. This is a story of how God sees a mother and a child. And the first part of this story is about a misunderstood mother. In our text, we see this mother, Hagar. And she's an immigrant from Egypt. And she has no sense of belonging at all. She's running away from a household where her body has been used to produce offspring for an infertile couple. And Hagar is trapped in a culture where she feels as though she is invisible. She has no rights, no dignity. She has no freedom. She has no choices. And frankly, she's just had enough. Hagar feels like a nobody with no name. In, in fact, she's referred to by Abram and Sarai as the maid or the Egyptian slave. And Sarai and Abram probably didn't really see Hagar as a person. She was there to serve a purpose for them, and they probably didn't even notice that she ran. It appears to me that Hagar really doesn't know what she wants, but she knows what she doesn't want. Hagar doesn't want to be treated as a non-person, as an invisible person. She doesn't realize that her greatest need what her greatest need is until she meets the God who sees her need. And she names him in verse 13, 
the God who sees. Now, Hagar, who might feel insignificant and misunderstood, is actually a very significant person. Hagar has the longest conversation with God with, of any woman and almost any man in the Old Testament. And Hagar, the Egyptian slave, is the only person in the Bible who names God, who gets to name God. And up to this point, God gave himself names. He introduced himself to the children of Israel as Elohim, the creator, and Yahweh, the covenant God, and El Shaddai, the Almighty. These are the majestic names of God. But Hagar needs more than a majestic God now. She desperately needs someone, a God who's intimate, a personal God, and she meets him. And she says, I have now seen the God who sees me. What difference would it make? Think about this. What difference would it make in your life to know that there's a God who sees you? See, God sees you. From an early age in my life, I longed to be seen. I was a very average person, a very average child. Academically, I didn't make A's and I didn't fail. I was just right in the middle. And when you're in the middle, no one really notices you. I loved sports, but I was really average in sports. And I tried my hardest. I just wasn't tall enough usually or fast enough or big enough. Behavior-wise, I was just polite. I was shy and, and quiet. But man, inside, inside here, there were so many thoughts about life and feelings and opinions and dreams about the future. But I thought, no one sees me or cares about what's going on on the inside because no one asks. No one really wants to know what's going on on the inside. But I still long to be seen. William Tamas, he's a, a writer, he, he writes this. He says, you don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at her parents every time around and why her parents always wave back. If you understand that, you understand something about human nature. So why do we need to be seen anyways? Why do we long for a God who sees, and what difference would that make to us? It makes all the difference in the world because to be seen is to be significant. In Psalm 139, in verse 16, the psalmist writes, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God saw us before anyone else did. He imagined us. He, he dreamed about us. He has a vision for us, and he created us as he watches over what he's created. So what is it like to be seen by God? What's it like to live under the gaze of a loving Heavenly Father? In Psalm 33, it says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all 
who considers everything they do. He watches and he, and he shapes the hearts of every human being and considers all that we do. Let me ask you, does the thought that God sees you, does it make you cringe or does it give you courage in your life? And for Hagar, I think it gave her courage because she did go back to the home of Abraham and Sarah. But she's a, a really a misunderstood mother. The second part that we could read about here in Genesis is from a misunderstood mother to a misunderstood child. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 20, as Hagar's son grew up, life became unbearable for her again. And so she left, second time that, that she ran off. In verse 8, the child Ishmael grew and was weaned, and on the day his brother Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abram, Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. <clears throat> The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because she is your offspring. And early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. <clears throat> when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch this boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying. And the angel of, of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God, then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. Here we see Hagar being met by God again. And God opens her eyes to see something that she didn't realize was there, which he always does. It happens in our community when, through various reasons, someone in our community, a family, finds themselves at the, at the end of their resources, at the end of their rope. And they feel hopeless. And they feel like they just can't do it anymore. It's a desperate situation. And that's what we're reading about right here. But the son grew up in the desert because Hagar had discovered the source of life in the desert. And God gave Hagar courage and she discovered what it was to be strongly supported by God. And when no one else knows and no one else cares and when no one else sees and no one else helps that God sees and he cares and he helps and he gives hope. And to be seen by God is to be known. You see, he is a God who sees. And when we look back at our lives and our up and down journey of 
our relationship with God. We can point to times when, as we look back and we see that he's been watching over us the whole time, even though when we're going through that time, it doesn't feel like he sees us, even though we weren't necessarily aware of it at the time. You see, we worship a God who sees. Last year, well, there's tons of people who come to this blessing of a church campus that God has given Nova. And last year, um, people came by the hundreds, really, walking their dogs and jogging around the grass and enjoying the the shade of our beautiful stone pine tree in the plaza, and of course, families playing in our playground. It was just last year that a family came to play in the playground on a Sunday late in the morning. And they came just as we were finishing worship, and there were just people streaming on, onto the plaza. And so they came in because from their, their immigrant family, and they came in because they were looking for something, and they contacted one of our leaders, and they asked a really a curious question, because they noticed that we were a church. And they came and asked one of our leaders, where are your gods? Where are your gods? Because they wanted to pray to our gods. In their home country, they would often go to a church where there were statues and paintings and stained glass depicting people that they thought were gods. And so they wanted to come in and see our, our gods and pray to our gods. And in Isaiah 44, it states it really clear that idols know nothing. They understand nothing. And their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. These people were trying to pray to gods that, that cannot see them. But we are not invisible, and neither is God. And that's what Hagar discovered when she fled to the desert. She discovered that God sees me, and he knows my name. And just because you can't see God, it doesn't mean that he's not there. And just because you think he's not there, it doesn't mean that he doesn't see you. And just because I can't see him, it doesn't mean that he's not doing work in my life as I speak, even though I don't understand it. God allows us to live in this, in this free will, and that's where we now live. And when we stepped outside what's best for us, we knew it, and we hid ourselves thinking that God wouldn't see us. But of course, God sees. He sees me. And that's, that means we get hurt, and sometimes others get hurt in our life. And God doesn't prevent this hurt necessarily, but he always provides a way for healing in our life, even if it comes days later. Because God's watching us. And God loves every person he's created. And to be seen is to be loved by God who looks on us. Let's talk about seeing, for us to see the God who sees. What difference does it make in our lives that, that we see a God who sees us? How, how life-changing would it be for you personally right now 
to go into every day knowing that I can see the God who sees me. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And what does that mean, that his loving eye is on us? It's the realization and it's the belief and it's the faith and the trust in that God who guides me with his eye. Our lives are sometimes so active and so busy, so superficial sometimes, that it's easy, for, easy to forget that God has his eye on you. And when you're a disciple, when you're a follower of Jesus, whether you like it or not, you have the life of Christ residing in you. And even when you think you're in a crowd of people who don't know him, or maybe you're hanging out at a party trying to warm yourself by a, an outdoor fire with people who don't know Jesus, he's still with you. There's a story in the Gospels, one of my favorites. Of It, it happened right after the arrest of Jesus, just hours before the cross. Jesus was arrested and taken away, and all his followers just scattered. And one of his disciples, Peter, he found himself anxious and worried, but warming himself around a fire with other people. And he was asked, Peter was, hey, didn't you know that man who was just arrested, didn't you know Jesus? And in verse 60 of Luke 22, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And I got to think, what was that like for Peter to be warming himself by the fire? Someone to say, hey, didn't you know Jesus, the guy who was arrested? And Peter says, no, I didn't know him. The rooster crows and Peter turns around and it's Jesus being led by some soldiers and they lock eyes. Peter momentarily took his eyes off of Jesus, but Jesus never took his eyes off of Peter. What do you imagine the look that Peter got from Jesus? What was Jesus thinking when they locked eyes right after Peter denied him? You think Peter, you think Jesus was thinking, Peter, I knew you would fail. I knew you would let me down. I'm done with you, Peter. Do you think that's what Jesus was thinking when he locked eyes with Peter? Because I, I don't think so. I, I think Jesus was thinking, I knew you'd fail, Peter, but I love you. And I know that you still love me. Well, we're going to have a, a second testimony of someone's mom today. And so today as we get ready to close our, our uh, teaching time, I'd like for you to welcome Danielle Kwan and Stephanie Cortez. Would you come on up? Welcome them. Okay, well, just like Dean said, my name is Danielle, this is Steph, my sister. We have a couple of things to say about our mom. She's right over there. Wave your the hand, mom. Shirt. Yeah. Number one, I should preface this, that she hates being the center of attention. So she probably likes that we're up here, but also secretly doesn't like it a little bit. 
But hopefully you can just bear with us for like four minutes because that's all we have. Um, <laughs> so if you've never met my mom before, um, it's probably because she's quiet and a little shy, more introverted. Um, but once you get to know her, you realize that she has a really big heart. She's really kind. Um, she's really nurturing. She's always been so supportive of us. I mean, she has four kids, for goodness sake, and she would make time to go to dance recitals, basketball games, our track meets, gymnastics, which, like Tammy said, takes up, like, your entire life. So that's Jenna's fault, but... Um, <laughs> um, but the most thing that I love about her is that she just provides the most innate sense of comfort and security because mom always just makes you feel better no matter how old you are because I'm 28 and when I'm sick, I still want my mom to tell me I'm going to be okay. <laughs> and so with comforting, um, we thought of a memory of like our childhood growing up and it was basically during our summer break she would pack up all the stuff, go all out and take us to the beach. And by all out, I mean like she would pack lunches, snacks, everything that you could imagine. We had these really cool, like cooler chairs that we would always fight over. There were only two and there were four of us. So we ended up having to do like a rotation. Um, and so- You get good at sharing when you have three siblings. Yeah. yeah. Wait, no, yeah, three siblings. Yeah. I was like, there's four of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you only have three siblings. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the best part was like heading home, she would like, let us go to 7-Eleven or Jamba Juice and pick up like whatever drink we wanted, a Slurpee, a soda, a smoothie. And so, um, yeah, she was like our super mom. She always went all out and above and beyond to make us comfortable. And she hated the beach, like hated the sun too. So if you know her, like she burns easily. So that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then spiritually, we want to talk a little bit about what she did for us spiritually. Um, she always, and when I was, when we were young, I always remember that mom would read her Bible every morning. She'd make time for her devotional, and that was always something that she set aside, even having to get four kids ready for school, but she always made time for that, um, which discipline is obviously, like, something to respect about mom. Um, but more currently, and when I think about how she's still feeding into us spiritually, I think about, similarly to what Tammy was saying, of prayer. Our mom is really good at praying for us, and she verbalizes that to us, um, and you don't realize that that's important until you don't have that in your life. And so it's nice that you always have mom there praying for you. Um, and even like when I was going through PT school just last year, um, that was a time of so many doubts and fears and insecurities in my life. And my mom was always really good about um, edifying me and encouraging me, saying that she knew that I could do it, but that she was praying for me. And she would always finish out everything. She's really good at listening. and. Um, if you know Steph, she can be like super tangential and mom sits through like hour long stories that could be 10 minutes. But um, mom is always really good at listening and so even when I just wanted to vent about anything that I had going on in my life, she listened and she always finishes up with like, I'm praying for you. And when she says that, it's like there's those few simple words but they mean the world to you and you know that it's genuine and you know that she's relying on God to give her the support that she can give me. And so it's just this cascade effect of support that is really important to have in your life. Yeah, and with constant support, we wanted to kind of reciprocate that and share a Bible verse with you. So it's from Romans 15, 13, and it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a very, like, simple but meaningful verse and we just want to remind you that even when you're feeling tired and all you want to do is just come home from work and sleep um, that God is our true source of 
happiness and fulfillment. And on that note, we love you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. I, I think as we close our time today, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, as we talk about the God who sees us, have you fixed your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Or are your eyes still sort of wandering around the world looking for other things that are going to fulfill you? And whether you like it or not, or whether you believe it or not, or whether you want it or not, God sees you today. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what difference does that make? What difference would it make that God sees you? What difference would that make in your life that God sees you for who you are? As you drive away from here after all of this is done, as you go to bed tonight, as you wake up tomorrow morning, what difference would it make that God sees you for who you are? As you live your life and as some of you, as you go to school tomorrow, as you choose your career or you work in your career, as you do your best as a mom or a dad, as you worship Jesus and serve him with your gifts, as you make mistakes in your life or you're just preoccupied with mundane things, God still sees you. And sometimes you think, I feel so small and I feel like I don't matter and, and no one cares. But I want you to know that God sees you. And when you see, you believe. And when you believe, you see. Hagar longed to be seen, and she met the God. She met the God who sees. Genesis 16, 13. And Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Let's pray together.